Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Well, Haley, uh, big news this week, of course, with Site C Dan. We talked a little bit about it with BIV reporter Patrick Blennerhassett on the previous podcast. We also had the opportunity to go in depth with experts from BC with regards to what this really means for the economy moving forward. First guest we are going to speak to, though, is Karen Backer. She is the director of the Program of Water Governance at University of British Columbia, expert on this. Of course, she actually filed a pretty significant report with regards to Site C, based on all the other kind of academia that we've seen go before it. So many insights from her to share. We're going to talk to her right now. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We're the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. The province announced today that it is completing the $10.7 billion Site C project. And with us to break down this decision is Karen Backer. She's director of UBC's program on water governance. Karen, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Karen, you you were a part of a very significant series of reviews, um, academics, others uh, involved in the literature around uh, Site C in order to try to come up with something that could approach um, an objective evaluation of it. Were you surprised that the Premier still moved forward today? Well, frankly, yes, although the government was in a very difficult spot. You have a situation where we now know that had the project been reviewed by the BC Utilities Commission four years ago, we would never have proceeded with this project because it simply was not the most economic choice. However, that didn't occur. And I think one of the biggest lessons to come from uh, this uh, this decision is really that um, not engaging in proper review by the Utilities Commission prior to construction results in very poor decisions. And this is to the detriment of all British Columbians. And you may remember that the Northwest transmission line was also exempted from review by the BC Utilities Commission. That project also came in very significantly over budget. So a big lesson learned from all of this is due diligence, regulatory oversight. Um, I suggest that going forward, there needs to be some consideration about how we make sure we don't repeat that mistake. Um, I think another surprising message that some commentators have offered is that climate change is a big driver in this decision. Mm -hmm. So our research shows that Site C is not a no carbon resource. It actually generates fairly significant emissions and that's on the basis of BC Hydro's own data. You may remember we put out a greenhouse gas emissions report um, last year uh, in the summer. And one of the interesting findings in that report is that uh, Site C, which also has more significant environmental Environmental negative environmental impacts and um, the alternatives also entails the release of about 4 million tons of emissions, that's carbon dioxide equivalent emissions, before 2035. And that's because of construction-related emissions and also the reservoir. So those emissions are concentrated in the early years following flooding, following inundation. So it will be several decades before the greenhouse gas emissions of the alternative portfolio that BC, the BC Utilities Commission put forward, it would be several decades before the emissions of that alternative were to exceed the Site C project, if ever. So with Site C, we're getting a more expensive option or than the alternatives, or maybe it's a tie, depending on how you look at the numbers. We're also getting an alternative that generates more emissions than the alternative 
and it does so with a, a much more significant negative environmental impact. So do you then accept the Premier's view that it was the point of no return? Well, again, these are... Uh, these are really important differences that have not been resolved by the BC Utilities Commission process. When the report came out, I read that report as more or less saying that Site C and the alternatives were currently in a tie. And they were in a tie if you evaluated Site C on the basis of the mid-load forecast, but that that mid-load forecast was, um, to put it politely, perhaps less likely to materialize than BC Hydro would hope, based on an evaluation of... um, BC Hydro's past uh, forecasting accuracy, and also based on the, 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 the latest data on trends in electricity consumption, which have been flat in the province for the past decade. So if, if you took the BC Utilities Commission report, uh, I think my read of it was that we were not quite yet at the point of no return and not past it, and the, um, there were asymmetric risks. The risks are much more on the side of continuing with Site C, and those risks, and as I'm sure you've seen from reading the report, uh, include the geotechnical risks. We don't know the full extent of those. They could lead to significant cost overruns and delays in addition to the cost overruns and delays they have already caused. And of course, we also have First Nations litigation risk, which um, has been re-emphasized recently with some um, some observations made uh, about the likelihood of a new court case uh, coming forward, which would create financial risks from a potential future cost award, which would be very significant. Karen, we often try putting a human face on things. We've heard a lot of numbers about 2,000 jobs uh, already being tied up with Site C, but you also put forward uh, information that would show that we would actually have more jobs created through some of the alternative energy uh, options that are out there. Do you foresee any circumstances in which we would still be able to have, say, energy projects running side by side, both the alternative as well as Site C going on, or is there just not going to be the demand for energy in the decades to come? That's a great question. So yes, um, our analysis, again, using BC Hydro's own numbers and BC Utilities Commission on numbers showed that um, the BCUC alternative would create significantly more employment than Site C stretched over a longer time period and distributed throughout the province, but a lot of those jobs in the Peace region, which has the best wind resources in the province. And of course, the BCC suggested wind as a good option to pursue. So by 2054, the BCUC alternative would have created about three times as many jobs as Site C. So we've chosen an option that generates fewer jobs, but it generates jobs in a a short time frame. Um, And and, uh, that, that means that by creating uh, a resource that generates fewer jobs long-term, but also generates surplus electricity for the province, it's unlikely that those alternatives would get off the ground anytime soon. So remember that the current prediction is that Site C will be 100% surplus when it's brought online. So there won't be an immediate driver for those alternatives to, to get off the ground. Things could always change, but keep in mind that uh, the the prediction across North America is for relatively flat electricity demand in the coming years. So this is the prediction for Ontario. Um, The Ontario system, uh, basically they're predicting very low or no load growth to 2040 in their reference scenario. So BC Hydro is currently predicting a much higher 
uh, rate of load growth than the independent electricity system operator mm-hmm. in Ontario. Um, and so no one has a crystal ball, but if BC Hydro scenario, which is an outlier scenario compared to the rest of North America, doesn't materialize, there there won't be many options in the next 10 to 15 years for those alternative energy sources to be built and generate those jobs in the province. You know, the latest shiny object in this, of course, is the electric vehicle. Do you buy into the the speculation that somehow the electric vehicle is just going to magnify, amplify our demand for hydroelectric power? Well, yeah, electri- electrification will increase demand. And of course, we want to decarbonize the economy. The question is, on what timeline? Mm-hmm. Our analysis suggests that it will increase demand, but not quickly enough to justify Site C on the current timeline. And of course, remember that electric cars can recharge at night and off-peak periods. They smooth out the demand curve. And in doing so, what they what you, you see is maybe a lower peak than, than you might expect. Uh, so, the, again, it's 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 an open question, um, but the weight of evidence and BC Utilities Commission experts also were forecasting essentially that load growth would be lower than BC Hydro would be predicting, in line with other major jurisdictions uh, across North America. And so now um, we're placing a bet on the future that uh, electrification and higher load growth will be. Uh, very different here than in the rest of North America, and only time will tell. Well, Karen, the Premier did say that they could recover costs by selling electricity over a a very significant period of time. Do you buy the economics behind that, that this would be spread out, amortized over, say, seven decades? So, yeah, I believe the date given in the BC Utilities Commission report was 2094. If we look out to 2094, we can make the project um, look more economic. Um, that's an awfully long time frame. Um, right now, site C electricity is um, more expensive to produce than the export market price. Um, it's significantly more expensive. So we would be selling that electricity at a significant loss. are for those prices to stay low and continue dropping. That's because the price of wind and solar in the U.S. is dropping. It's also because of natural gas keeping prices low. But uh, if we do see the continuing trend in the U.S. with respect to aggressive development in wind and solar that are dropping rapidly in price, we could end up with a situation where we have expensive site C electricity that cannot compete in the long term um, price-wise. Again, no one has a crystal ball. There may be changes that could increase the price of electricity in the future, um, but those are uh, not really the scenarios that uh, other major jurisdictions in North America are are focusing on. So again, we're making a decision um, to rely on kind of an outlier scenario. And um, a lot can change in 70 years. We know that hydro is a mature technology. The price isn't going to change that much. Um, what we don't know is how much more wind and solar will drop in price, or geothermal for that matter. But the trend over the past five years has been double-digit drops in prices, and most energy experts suggest that those rapid declines in price will continue, which would render Site C uh, less economically attractive than its proponents would hope. Karen, I know your time is at a premium. Just one last question before we let you go. Um, you know, there is an analogy that people might express today uh, with uh, the Kinder Morgan project, where a political leader determines that the project is going ahead. And yet there are still a lot of court decisions 
remaining that might block uh, a project like this. Is it possible that John Horgan's moving forward today almost understanding that the courts still have some say in all of this and that the project itself may eventually stall? It's a great question. It's not something we did research on. Um, You know as much as I do about that, that Site C was approved without any detailed assessment of treaty rights infringement, that there is a the, the possibility of taking a case forward. If it were to go forward, it's probably a Supreme Court case, mm-hmm. which actually could be a very significant case in terms of um, future resource development, not only in the province, but across Canada. And there's been a $1 billion price tag just thrown around, attached to a potential cost award from such a case. Um, that case, of course, could take years to get through the courts. So it, it has no immediate material effect. But as someone um, who studies on, water, water governance the way you do, you know, might that be the ultimate mm-hmm. test here? It would be a post hoc test if it were to occur, because it would likely a decision would be rendered after Site C was completed. So I, I think it's it's um, it's not exactly analogous to the Kinder Morgan case, because in this case the legal proceedings would move uh, much more slowly than than the pace of development. Again, I could be wrong, um, but. The, that's the issue facing us today. We don't really have, we're full steam ahead now. Mm-hmm. Well, Karen, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. That's Karen Backer. She's director of UBC's program on water governance, and you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. I'm Kirk LaPointe. And that was UBC's Karen Backer. And uh, we're going to come back after the break to talk to Stuart Muir from Resource Works. Uh, he's executive director there. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out online at manningelliott.ca. Well, after our conversation with Karen Backer, we want to throw it maybe kind of the other side here with Stuart Mm -hmm. Muir. He's executive director of ResourceWorks. So stay with us uh, to get more insights from Stuart on Site C Dam. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3, where the daily business news program from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and the website, BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Tyler Orton. We continue our examination today of the BC government's decision to complete the Site C project and Vancouver-based resource works. It's called it a quote-unquote principled and responsible decision with us to provide insights on what this means for the province, it's Stuart Muir. He's the executive director of Resorts Works. Thank you for joining us on the show once again, Stuart. Thanks, Tyler. Hi, Kirk. You know, I, I think as today we go through the results here, there's a lot of emotion out there. I was just doing live radio. We had some First Nations leaders from very specific interests who were very upset. I'm also aware of previous conversations I've had, First Nations leaders who are very supportive. So there's division there. It's certainly not homogeneous. and so um, today's decision, I've said, represents a, a principled point of view because it recognizes the, the principles that Canada is applying as a country to meeting the Paris climate obligations that will, will require between now and 2050 the equivalent of about $2 trillion of investment in forms of energy that produce less or no greenhouse gases. That's a tall order for Canada. Site C is part of that picture. 
Yeah. Let's even get into the politics of this right away, Stuart. Given that John Horgan never, ever said that he would cancel Site C, could he have really done that today anyway? I wouldn't have expected to have seen it. You know, he took a very cautious approach. He campaigned uh, for the NDP on on a matter of principle that they would uh, submit this to the Utilities Commission. They did that. They took the result from that. They parsed it. They made a cabinet decision, not an easy one we hear. And that was come out with the result. You know, I think the Premier will be most happy that he's pulled the Band-Aid off this issue before Christmas. They're going to go into 2018. Maybe there'll be a little turbulence on it. But for the most part, I think most British Columbians will have accepted it because it wasn't, let's face it, that big an issue for most people. Stuart, how does a province move forward with regards to dealing with First Nations bans? We've had two of them promise to file a $1 billion Treaty 8 infringement lawsuit. How do we bridge a lot of the gaps that seem as if they're going to persist after this decision? Yeah, well, you do have to remember when the the First Nations went to court earlier, we've, had, we've heard from the federal court that the type of engagement done by BC Hydro was extremely well done. They had no issues like that. And I think in future that you would have probably a similar finding on that issue when it comes to the legal issues and they want to go into First Nations rights. That's a different matter. I'm no expert there. We'll see how that plays out. But in the past, it's not as if there is a sort of black and white situation where clearly one side is is wrong or bad or or out of touch. Um, That's not been the experience so far. Where do you think the demand for the electricity comes from, Stuart? Well, talk, we're talking about a long transition. Even turning this dam on will be in 2024, will be maybe a little bit late because there's been some delays. Maybe it's 2025. Who knows? We'll see. That's still a long ways off. It's very difficult to predict, let alone uh, elections and things like that. But the demand for electricity, uh, most of the power experts I talk to are very cautious. And that's why the band of estimates from low to high is quite a wide one. And and you'll, you'll find it difficult to pin down the experts on this. But they do know that over time, whether it's 1%, 2% year growth, that requires more electricity. And it's got to come from somewhere. Well, and Stuart, in your editorial at ResourceWorks webpage, you do say that this plays into an overall energy strategy that Canada should have, not just British Columbia. Tell us how you imagine that playing out uh, going forward. Well, first of all, you know, we need to work on the intertie between BC and Alberta if it's our wish to share our green energy, because in BC, about 96, 97% of the electricity we have qualifies as as clean. Um, If we're to share that, though, we need better uh, wires to be able to get it to other markets. The oil sands in Alberta is working very hard to decrease its carbon footprint. There's going to be heavy demand. The Premier of Alberta, uh, Premier Notley, has committed to get off coal by 2030. That's an incredibly ambitious target when you consider that right now on a day of of low wind, you can have more than 90% of all Alberta's uh, energy coming from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. We're only 12 years away from 2030, and we're supposed to be off coal by then. How are we going to do it? So is the next step to then examine another infrastructure project that, um, that ties the two provinces together? Well, yes, there has been talk for many years of the intertie. There's a northern option, a southern option. Uh, We've also seen discussions with Manitoba. They've got a lot of hydro there. They think they would like to get it to Alberta. Maybe that's more challenging technically. So I think if we are able to uh, come into some negotiations with Alberta, it's going to be difficult right now until the Kinder Morgan uh, project is is settled. I think 
I think that's a discussion between two NDP governments that they'll be having probably very quietly to see whether there's some rapprochement on, on this issue, because the Intertai will help Alberta, which they think uh, helps BC. So a little bit of, of play between them is going to be perhaps a project for Premier Horgan in 2018 to see whether they can have that conversation, because right now there's no way they can, given the stance of opposition to Kinder Morgan. Uh, Alberta is not supportive of, obviously, that that position. Sturt, the other conversation that people want to have, though, is whether this leaves room or shuts out a lot of the other alternative energy producers that could be going forward. Say wind, for example, if the BCUC has already said that the power that is being forecasted, it's not simply needed by the province at this point. Where do you see the future lane for a lot of these alternative energy producers? Well, I think there's a future. I heard this morning since the decision from one of the groups, the Hada Wind Resource, they, they have, uh, they think, a utility-scale solution in the Hecate Strait, uh, producing many gigawatts of cost-effective energy. That's coming down the pipe. That's wind energy. We we know that, given our Paris obligations, uh, I've seen the Trachier Energy Futures Project, which is associated with the Suzuki Foundation, uh, come up with numbers suggesting there's a $2 trillion economic need to decarbonize the Canadian economy. We're going to see the equivalent, I just saw a paper uh, where they suggest that 6,300 solar farm equivalents would be needed to reach that Paris commitment. How, how are you going to build 6,300 solar farms? Not that uh, you know solar farms don't have issues with uh, the backup and storage, but you know, hopefully over time there'll be better solutions to that. But still, the monumental scale of Canada's commitment, mainly because of Alberta, New Brunswick, and Ontario's more carbon-intensive uh, energy sectors. You know, BC is not a state unto itself. We are a province within a federation within Canada. We are going to be called upon to uh, carry our weight in that regards, and that's just part of being a federation. Yeah, Stuart, our, our last guest, uh, Karen Baker, uh, backer from UBC, she had pointed out that if you look at what the prices are for, say, wind, solar power, they keep dropping and dropping when it comes to electricity. And it could be that Site C provides a less economic, uh, economical alternative for electricity. What do you see about that debate with regards just to the sheer economics of alternative versus the Site C uh, option here? Yeah, I, th- I think it's irrefutable that the prices is dropping somewhat. I think the laws of physics aren't changing. You know, the storage is going to still be needed, and that's that's really the problem. So we can want more wind, but we have to appreciate the wind doesn't blow all the time. You need to have some sort of backup. Hydro does provide a great backup. You could have, instead of that, you could have natural gas as a backup you can switch on. Of course, that has uh, implications for climate, but I think we're going to be seeing probably a lot more natural gas in the mix to provide some of the backup. We're going to see wind where appropriate, whether it's in the Hecate Strait or some of the, the zones that are identified by the province of BC and their wind mapping. Um, we've got some great areas. We don't have, you know, the same as the Great Plains where they have amazing potential. If you've ever been through Pincher Creek in southern Alberta, it's like driving through Denmark. It's just <laughs> stuffed with wind turbines. It's an amazing place to visit. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm really agnostic about where the energy is coming from, but I do think we need the smorgasbord of, to stay with the Scandinavian, of, of energy solutions. First of all, we have them in D.C. We're incredibly lucky. No one in the world, I would say, has got the oil and gas, the wind, the sunshine, the, the, the waterways that we've got to generate energy. We should be using it responsibly, uh, ensuring that First Nations, uh, that was the number two priority that Premier Horgan mentioned this morning, to reopen First Nations standing offer program for clean energy. And, you know, that's really important because in B.C., 
with our rugged terrain. You've got all of these isolated little First Nations communities. A lot of them are on diesel. They don't want to be on diesel because it's expensive and they know that they're under pressure to decarbonize that. So they're looking for solutions. And I think that's one of the more exciting stories. I'm going to be working on a documentary uh, this coming spring on that journey of Canada's, the West and the North, uh, remote First Nations and how they're dealing with this. Stuart Mears, our guest. He's the executive director of ResourceWorks. He's a frequent contributor to our program. We often talk about uh, the economy and the resource economy, of course, being uh, uh, very central today in our thoughts as the government has proceeded with the Site C project. Mm-hmm. I want to get uh, some uh, more political thoughts from you, Stuart, in this case, because clearly John Horgan's going to have um, a bit of a test here of his own base, uh, a base that might have expected him to actually move a bit away from his campaign and uh, take uh, a leaning toward uh, what the BCUC did and, and interpret it as uh, being the time to, uh, to stop the project. How does John Horgan now uh, essentially bring his camp along on this one and, and lead them into this uh, wider understanding of the resource future of the province? Well, that, that is a tough one. I mean, you look at the relative scale of things. Site C alone, someone I know from the, the wind and solar energy industry has assured me is really not that big. It, you could take all of the power that would come from there and that would, that would power one LNG plant, one of the bigger ones. You could take all that power, it would be enough to do a major mine. It, it's not uh, you know, the, the solution for the future by itself. It's one mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. of a big future problem. From uh, Premier Horgan's point of view, I, I think they need to be talking about food security. He's, he's identified that. They need to ensure that the openness and, and progressive uh, approach to First Nations that they've been talking about on campaign is delivered on. They talk about uh, UNDRIP and those commitments. Um, they also have labor constituents. And their third priority in this decision today was the project labor agreements, which is kind of a code phrase for uh, bringing organized labor unions more into the, the next tranches of the contracting of the Site C project. So we're going to see some probably uh, you know, compass reorientation there. They're not going to be ripping things up, but they're going to be you know, changing course a little bit. Um, and, and so that's part of how he's developing a constituency. But, you know, from just a hard level campaign uh, pragmatist point of view, I, you know, if you're looking at the public opinion on this issue, what you'd be seeing is that the number one issue far and away in the lower mainland, where the votes are, is affordability. Now, we know that's a code word for housing, affordability. You go way down the list, probably, you know, one-eighth or one-tenth is important is Site C, way down towards, the, really, the, I would say, the, the bottom for the average person of the list. And where we've been hearing quite vociferous views, mainly oppositional views to Site C, you know, it's been geographically uh, connected to Vancouver Island. I think probably the South Island, the Green Ridings, I don't think Premier Horgan really needs to worry about about losing a lot of votes in ridings he doesn't hold because they're green ridings. Uh, so I, if he looks at the interior, there's probably 58, 60% support for Site C. If you look at Metro Vancouver, probably you know half and half. You know, so it's it's not one of these issues where unless he, um, unless, is ready to, unless there's proportional representation, then he's got his hands full. Well, well, yes. I mean, the interesting thing, I mean, you raised politics. Uh, you know, we, we saw Andrew Weaver uh, raise the suggestion yesterday that a recall campaign should yeah. be initiated against uh, an NDP MLA who he yeah. says uh, is, is two-faced on this issue. Now, um, I think there's going to be lots of people rushing to say, well, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, uh, the <laughs> Greens could change the situation. You have the power to bring down this government on this issue if you feel so strongly about sightseeing. Why aren't you doing that? Yeah, uh, People uh, still have that photo of Andrew Weaver in the photo opportunity announcing uh, announcing sightseeing's proceeding with Gordon Campbell. Anyway. That's probably, yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably his least favorite photo in his album. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Stuart, uh, once again, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you. That's Stuart Meir, Executive Director of ResourceWorks, and you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. And that was Stuart Muir from ResourceWorks here on the Business in Vancouver podcast, talking all about the big business implications from the Site C Dam project that will be moving forward. Yeah, a lot to unpack with that. And of course, if you want more business news related to Site C, we encourage everyone to go over to BIV.com where we're covering it as well. That's it for today's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Uh, Tyler, if anyone wants to connect with you, where should they go? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. You can also find my stories at BIV.com. Haley, where can we find you? I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at Haley Wooden. And if you want podcast radio shows, as Tyler said, BIV.com, where you can get more content from us. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with this podcast tomorrow.